0: Hey, good morning, everyone! Thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Ryan. Super grateful to be here with you. A uh, lot of new faces uh, here this morning. Super honored that you would spend some of your Sunday morning with us. If you're brand new to our community, maybe it's your first time venturing into a church ever or in a long time. It was probably weird hearing about the fasting part. I'm not gonna lie. If it was my first time attending a church and they're like, like these people are talking about, I can't eat. I can't eat a meal. What's that about? What does that have to do with Jesus? Um, there is a purpose to it, though I can admit that would sound weird to me. I'll be honest. Um, if you're if you are new here, obviously we're we're really excited about this. What Haley referenced is in the month of February we are participating in this kind of nationwide prayer and fasting movement called Awaken. It originated out of Nashville. And it's an incredible opportunity for us as a community to walk through that together. There's packets in the back that explain a lot more if you're new to this idea and you want to know kind of the tradition and, and where we developed this theology from. But we're going to be doing that through the month of February. We would love for you to consider it. If you have questions, you can stop by the Connect table on the way out. And we would love to chat with you about what that's going to look like uh, for our community. Now, as we begin, uh, if you're new, we are in week two of a sermon series that we're walking through as we begin the year called Rest, and we're really excited. Last week, we talked about kind of the beginning, which was the posture of rest and what it means to start in a place of rest, and that was from this very popular passage of scripture you may know from Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so today we kind of transition from that into week two of our rest series. But this morning what I wanted to talk about is, um, this isn't an unfamiliar idea, it's something you're probably familiar with, maybe even experienced this morning, is the reality that in our world it seems like everyone is in a rush. You rush to church, some of you, you rush to get up this morning, you rush to throw on some clothes, maybe you throw on the wrong clothes. Throw on some dirty clothes, hopefully not, you rush to this place, you rush from here to lunch, you rush from that to your next appointment, you rush to the next baby shower. How many of you got some baby showers to go to today? I got too many in my life. All right. As you can tell, there's lots of pregnant women around here. Lots of baby showers. Praise God. Okay. We're growing the church the old fashioned way. <laughs> Birth. Okay. Not rebirth yet. Birth. Okay. Take what you can get as a church. So you're rushing from thing to thing. Here's what I know about many of you. Many of you in this place, you are overcommitted. You are overcommitted, people. Just go ahead and admit it. You are burdened with your schedule and your limitations. You're exhausted. Maybe you would even say you're to the point of burnout sitting here in this place this morning. And you lack rest. Rest. You don't know what it looks like to slow down. You don't know what it looks like to have actual rhythm in your life. And you simply rush from one place to the next. And that is all you know. John Mark Comer, in his very popular book, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He quotes a famous pastor and theologian named Dallas Willard. When he asks him this question, he says, Dallas, in a world that is so in a rush, in a world that has so much busyness to it, and there's so much chaos and our schedules are full, how does somebody in this context grow in Jesus? How does somebody grow into this life-giving relationship with Jesus in a world that is so busy. And Dallas Willard's response is where he builds the premise of his book. And his response was this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If you are going to grow in Jesus, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, to Dallas's point on that's how you grow in Jesus, I would say the same answer exists on how you rest in Jesus. You must ruthlessly eliminate Rushing and hurry from your life for a new life, which is pivoted on slowing down and having rhythm in Jesus. So I would tell you this, that this morning it is impossible to rush through life and experience the rest of Jesus. It's impossible to the fullest degree to rush through your life and experience the life-giving rest and rhythm that Jesus offers you. So is there another way? Is there a way of Jesus that he invites us into, a way of life, a filter, a rule, a rhythm that we could experience for his design to live life in rhythm and rest? And if anybody, I mean, if, if I'm catching anybody's attention right now, come on, somebody, just, just give me a mm. I mean, if you're just feeling it right now, you're about to fall asleep right now and you just say, just give me a, mm. okay, now go back to sleep. I'm with you. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to give you this morning. If you take notes, uh, if you write down on your phone, or if you just have a great memory, I'm going to give you two rules, two rules from the life of Jesus that are going to help you find a a life of rhythm, I hope, and rest that Jesus offers us. Two rules and one rhythm. Two rules and one rhythm. Next week, we're going to go through the second rhythm. So there's two rules and two rhythms. I'm going to give you two rules and one rhythm this morning. Here's the first rule, if you can write this down. Rule number one, when it comes to a life of rhythm and rest away from the rushing tendency of life. Here's rule number one. We have to slow down by remembering there is one thing that is necessary. Being with Jesus precedes and supersedes doing for Jesus. Okay, I'm going to say that rule again. As some of you, I didn't notice you were writing anything down. Rule number one, Zach, slow down by remembering there is, what's that word? One thing that is necessary. Being with Jesus precedes and supersedes, doing for Jesus. Now, what text am I reading from? Luke chapter 10. Track with me to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. We're going to read through a very popular passage of Scripture that illuminates this very truth and rule that Jesus is going to give us for rest and rhythm. Luke 10, verse 38, here's what the text reads. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has, this is how she was talking in English, um, obviously in Jerusalem. Uh, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, Jesus. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. That's a double vocative, which means what Jesus is about to say is really important. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but what's the word? One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Our first rule, if you want to experience the rhythm and the rest that Jesus offers everyone who trusts him, you have to slow down by remembering there is one thing that is necessary. Being with Jesus precedes and supersedes doing for Jesus. Now, if you notice in this story, Mary and Martha are hosting a dinner party for Jesus. Somebody say dinner. Okay. Praise God. It's a great opportunity. We host dinner parties. Some of you are incredible dinner party hosts. And if you know what it's like to host a dinner party, there's a lot of details involved. Okay. My neighbors are here, Brett and Megan, incredible dinner party hosts. If you have ever been the only one at a dinner party doing anything and preparing anything? Have you ever been that person? It's not fun. The only one running around and cooking, the only one cleaning, the only one setting the tables, and your friend Mary just sitting on the ground, sitting there, <laughs> get up. We got to make turkey for Jesus. I mean, imagine the pressure of preparing a meal for Jesus. This better be a good meal. I'm not cooking. It ain't happening. I'm ordering like pinch boil house or something, you know, bring it on over, Okay. But Mary's sitting on the ground. Martha is, what, what is the text here? This was so crazy. The text reads that Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, if you're anything like me, when you read that, you go, serving? Isn't serving a great thing? Like, didn't Jesus say that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? I mean, isn't that part of our DNA? Absolutely, it is. It's an absolute necessity to the body of Christ that we serve. But here's the thing. Martha was distracted with much serving. That's striking, right? And so Jesus speaks to that. He says, "Mm, look, you're troubled and anxious about many things, but there is only one thing that is necessary. This is a good thing. Serving is a good thing. Preparing a dinner party for Jesus great thing. Having a meal prepared, fantastic thing. Having the table set, wonderful thing. But there is only one thing that is necessary. Now, here's the thing, guys. If you have grown up in church or you're new to this whole experience, you may not be familiar with this, but maybe others are. Uh, We're really great at this in church, okay? We're really great at this whole idea of activity, and about doing for Jesus. We're really bad at what I call being with Jesus. Let me explain how a church conversation might go for you as you show up to your first gathering. We'll say, hey, are you new here? Okay, what's your name, ma'am? What's your name? Suzanne, wonderful name, beautiful name. Okay, uh, Suzanne, here's the deal. You're brand new here. We got to get you plugged in. Okay, have you ever heard that language? If you're new to church, you're like, what does plugged in mean? OK, there's an outlet over there. You're going to plug me into it. No, even better. OK, you're going to you're you're going to be struggling for the next 10 years of how much we're going to use you. OK, here's what we're going to do. Number one. So number one, you got to serve. OK, so I actually have a modern growth church track here. If we can uh, church church track, throw that slide up there for me, brother. Papal. right. So, here's how modern day church works as far as a growth track. What do I mean? I mean, you want to experience Jesus, you want to follow Jesus. Here's what you got to do. Number one, you got to serve, okay? You show up here, I don't even know your name, but you need to serve. Get on a team, all right? Number two, you got to connect. You got to find a group. There's got to be a group near you. You're going to have to go to that group every week of your life uh, for the next 12 years. Then you got to give. Sir, I don't even know your name. Pull out your wallet, all right? You need to give money. Why? Just do it, okay? Fourth, we're going to put you in a class. Just let you know that you suck at Christianity, so we're going to put you in a class. Get in that class, okay? Last thing, outreach. After you're in that class, we're going to send you out like Haley door to door to people's houses, okay? Was anybody inspired or scared by Haley's testimony? I was terrified, okay? I live on the east side. I'm knocking on people's houses. Good morning. I'm doing a fast. You're dead, all right? Fast for the rest of my life. In heaven. Um, Now, why do I bring this up? I do not bring this up to throw shade because I have perpetuated a system like this at times. But here's what I wanted you to know Jesus invites us into this lifestyle of being with Him that flows into doing for Him. It's identity and then activity, it's intimacy and then activity. But what we do in the church, we're really great at this, is we go, we got to get you active. As if the key to flourishing in a deep relationship with Jesus that transforms your whole being, where you experience rhythm and rest, is doing things. And so here's what happens. We're great at activating people to do things for Jesus. You've got to serve. You've got to connect. You've got to give. You've got to go to class. You've got to get outreach. If you notice, all those things are output heavy. They're not bad things. They're great things. They're good things in their proper rhythm, in the proper context. But you could do all of those things and miss the one thing. You could do every one of those things and be plugged in and connected and serving and giving and ministering and going and miss one thing that Jesus said was necessary. Listen, if Martha was at your church, she'd be the number one leader. You would have welcomed her in. You would have never said, Martha, Martha, you are distracted. You would have said, Martha, you get a gold star. You're the number one volunteer for ACC downtown. You would have never, ever reproved Martha. You would have said, Martha, we need a 1,000 of yous. Mary, get up. Get to work. We need people to serve. Okay? Now, those are great things. Hear me. Those are great things. It's just not the one thing, necessarily. So what is the one thing? According to Jesus, the one thing is being with him. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. She's simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing from Jesus, learning from Jesus, communing with Jesus. Serving, fantastic thing. But once again, it starts. It has to be input to output. It's got to be intimacy into activity. Many of you, the only experience you have in church is all output, output, output. Guess what? No relationship can serve like that. No relationship works like that. So it's intimacy flowing into activity. It's being with Jesus flowing into responding And going and doing for Jesus. I had a crazy revelation about that this week. uh, In my discipleship group, one of my guys, Josh, um, challenged me about this idea. We were talking about the love languages. Anybody ever heard of the five love languages? I don't even know if it's, I don't think it's a Christian idea. It's just human experience. It's really powerful, incredibly insightful. And he said to me, hey, what do you think your wife's love languages are? And so I know her two primary love languages. Everybody is loved through all of them, but you have primary ones where you experience love the most through them. So hers are quality time, so spending quality time with her, and then physical touch. Now, don't get weird. I'm not talking about weird things. Holding hands, you know, cuddling, things like that. Women love that stuff, okay? (laughs) So do guys. Some. Um... Like, you know, like your wife just wants to hold your hand. You're like, all right, cool. Let's hold hands. Um, Not my love language. Okay? So he says, I challenge you to love her in that way this week. Specifically, find a way to love her in that way. Awesome guy, right? Some of you wives, you're like, you need to get in a D group. (laughs) Because you ain't been loving me in the way I need to be loved. You probably don 't sound like that that deep of a voice. Um, so anyway, so I was thinking about that this week, and I was sitting on the couch, and I got in this like moment where I was like i 'm ready to clean this house. so I got up and I was Adeline was asleep, we have a twelve week old baby, so she 's asleep, so I pulled out a broom, if you' all know what those are, and I was sweeping with a broom, like all medieval you know ish and I'm just grinding away at this floor. I'm working so hard for like an hour and a half. And I had this thought, I was like, I don't even know if she cares that I'm pouring myself out here. Does she even, she better feel loved by this right now as she sits on the couch and I'm sweeping away and cleaning away. And then I had this moment where God drops this truth into my heart. Where I remember this conversation a week before where she mentions this comment in passing that God just births up in me. And she had said to me, In passing, she said, one morning she said, Ryan, last night I just wanted you to know what you did. It made me feel so loved. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so at like 3 a.m. when Adeline needed to feed, Megan was feeding her, I rolled over and cuddled her for like 30 seconds. I didn't even really fully remember it. But I cuddled her and, you know, I did that thing and then rolled back over and went to sleep. She referenced that 30-second moment of all the moments we've had of all the output that I have struggled through, of all the floors I've swept, (laughs) of all the dishes I've done, of putting up every Christmas decoration in our house, the moment she referenced she felt the most loved was a 30-second battle at 3 a.m. that I didn't even remember. (laughs) Now think about this. Track with me here. This is, I think, Very fitting to the context of Mary and Martha. Many of us, we are expending every ounce of energy we have doing for Jesus and going, God, don't you see what I'm doing? I'm pouring it out for you at the church. All the while, Jesus is saying, dude, I was just grateful for the 30 seconds we sat together. The 30 seconds where you were at my feet and we were just spending time. In fact, I'll tell you this, God's love language is quality time. That's his love language, not quantity time. I'm not saying you got to spend all your time on the floor like Mary. You do got to get up and do things. But what I'm saying is quality time. God loves quality time. And you can pour out your life for Jesus doing everything for him to try to impress him. All the while he's saying, I really just enjoyed that 30 seconds together the other night. Come on, somebody. That's a revelation. Somebody say amen, brother. So I had this thought, you know, even with with Megan, the things that make her experience love are often the things that I don't even consider. And I'm pouring out all my energy all the while it was so simple. And Jesus invites us into this lifestyle of one thing. One thing is necessary, being with me, communing with me, sitting with me. Now, how does this translate to rhythm and rest? Maybe you're wondering, what does this got to do with rest? Well, here's the deal. This gives you a filter, a rule to live by where you can discern the many things you are tempted to do and to expend all your energy when God was simply pleased with one thing. To simplify your life and to say, God, if I'm expending all I have to do for you, but I'm never being with you, then that's not what you want for me. And so I can trim the fat on my life back to the basics of saying there's just a few things Jesus wants me involved in here. Listen, I meet people all the time, guys, check this. I meet people all the time who have spent their entire lives in the church and they are walking away limping no more in a life-giving relationship with Jesus than when they started. In fact, many of them started in a life-giving relationship and they are limping away from the church because they feel they've been chewed up and spit out and used. Because it was all output. They were never taught how to simply pursue Jesus and be with Jesus. So at ACC Downtown, if you're new here, Obviously, we're all figuring this out. And obviously, I'm not going to get this right all the time. And obviously, I'm going to fail you at times. But I pray, by the grace of the Lord, that we can create an environment where you can learn to be with Jesus. And then flow that into every other area of your life. And so I, I told Izzy, I call this sort of like a discipleship ecosystem. If you know what an ecosystem is, it's kind of a, it's where animals and plants and organisms thrive together to form a life bubble to function and flourish so what I want us to create at this church is what I would call a discipleship ecosystem these are access points for your life things for you to engage with wherever you are to create rhythms that are life-giving for you So that looks like our Sunday gathering. That looks like our dinner parties, which meet every other week intentionally, so for the sake that you don't burn yourself out. And that looks like discipleship groups that are formed organically through relationships. Now, if you're a person who comes from a church context and you go, that's way too simple for me. I need 42 classes, programs, more dinners, more lunches, more events, women's ministry, kids' ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, teen ministry, Well, unfortunately, it's probably not going to work out for us, okay? Here's the thing. Um, This is obviously going to adapt and change, but what we're trying to do is create access points for you wherever you are. And I just want to free you up here in a moment. Like if you're in a stage of your life where right now you just need to simply be with Jesus and you don't need to serve, then you don't need to serve. I just want you to show up and sit there. If you're in a space where you need relationships and you have margin to be in a discipleship group or a dinner party and you can continue to be with Jesus and flourish, then I want you to do that. But listen, nobody's going to be leaning over your shoulder telling you you've got to be committed to everything. Do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. Because I want you to be with Jesus. And so all of these are access points to grow the body of Christ and mature you and connect you to the degree you need in this season. But we trust the Spirit of God in you. We trust the Spirit of God in all of us to lead us and guide us into that. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay? Amen? Okay. Here's rule number two. We've moved on from rule number one. Here's rule number two. When it comes to finding a life of rhythm and rest. Rule number two is this. Remember the rhythms of work and rest. Embrace your limitations as a gift to receive, not a barrier to overcome. I'm going to say this again. Here's rule number two Jesus is going to give you when it comes to finding a life of rhythm and rest. You've got to remember the rhythms of work and rest. You have to embrace your limitations as a gift to receive, not a barrier to overcome. Many of us were like, what does that mean? We're going to get there. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to turn there with you. And we have the verses on the screen for you as well. Excuse me. So in Mark 6, starting at verse 7, Jesus is going to send out his disciples for their first ever missionary trip. Activity. They're going out. They're going to do this work for Jesus. Okay? Mark 6, verse 7. Here's what it says. And he called the 12 send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out demons, anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. Now, jump to verse 30 from verse 13. We just finished there. Verse 30. They return. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, here's our key verse, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Pause. Jesus models for the disciples a rhythm of work and rest. He has just sent his disciples out on their first missionary journey. They've gone into a neighboring town, as Haley did. They're going door to door, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. They've worked really hard, and they're really exhausted. If you've ever gone on a mission trip before, maybe you went somewhere overseas or here in town and you come back and you're spent. I mean, you've poured it all out and they get back and they're so busy. Their schedules are so full. The text reads that they don't even have enough time to eat. Have you ever had so little margin in your schedule? You couldn't even eat. Have a baby. You will. You just scarf your food down and then you pass the baby along. You just trade off who's eating. And who's holding. So they had no leisure to rest or eat. And Jesus tells them, commands them, come away and rest for a while. I love that. Come away and rest for a while. And he says this, come away to a desolate place. That word there, desolate place, is the same word used for wilderness. It means an uninhabited place. It means somewhere nobody is. You're going to come away to a place where nobody is there and you're going to rest, a quiet place. Jesus models that life is meant to be lived in rhythm, rest, work. Advance, retreat. Go, stop. Let me tell you, listen, you cannot live your life constantly going, 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 advancing, advancing, advancing. Forward, forward, forward. Let me tell you, for those of you who are under 30 right now, you think you can. It's coming to a halt. All right, now I'm not 30 yet. Um, so I learned a little earlier, 23. Um, gosh, new skin. Uh, Megan, it's her skincare company. Anyways, so. God has developed a rhythm for your life. Nobody can live against God's intended design and not suffer the results of it. Do you hear me? Nobody can go against the grain and DNA for which God has intended and not come away unscathed. So Jesus models this for us. We find actually in the New Testament four times Jesus gets away by himself to a desolate place to seek his father and rest and pray. We find once that Jesus gets away to a desolate place to grieve the loss of his friend John the Baptist. We find that he gets away to a desolate place to pray before the cross. Four times we find that Jesus took a nap that was so hard that a storm that was about to kill his friends couldn't wake him up. They woke him up in the boat because they were afraid they were going to die, and Jesus was dead asleep. Somebody say nap. Okay, be blessed. If that's your only takeaway today, go home. Do it. Nap. Jesus modeled rest for us. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy, Elijah, who was so depressed and exhausted that God literally commanded him to nap and eat cake. And that was the way he was to be restored. And today we're going to have cake. So God models for us this life is meant to be lived in rhythm of work and rest. Now, how do we find that rhythm. If there's supposed to be this rhythm of advance, retreat, go, stop, work, and rest, how do you do that? Well, here's the key. You have to realize that you must embrace your limitations. They are gifts to receive, not barriers to overcome. I'm going to say that again. You must realize God has hardwired in every person. You have a functioning human body that has very real limitations, that you must embrace as gifts, not barriers. Okay, I'm about to preach to somebody. I'm coming for you. Okay, it's about to go down. Here's the deal. You have very real limitations. Let me tell you some of your limitations. Number one, you have a limitation of time. You do not have all the time in the world. You have a limitation of energy. You do not have all the energy in the world. You have a limitation of creativity. Some of you at 8 p.m., you couldn't talk to a frog. Let's be honest, okay? There's no creativity left. My wife's trying to talk to me at 9 p.m. It's just blah, 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 You have limitations. You have a limitation of your schedule. You cannot be everywhere. You cannot meet everyone. You cannot please everyone. You have very limitations in your life. And so here's what we do with limitations. We go, mm. i got to overcome this. I'm exhausted, I'm burned out, but you know what? I can do all things for Christ who strengthens me. (laughs) Energy, who needs that? Philippians 4.13. All right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get it done. That's not what that verse is about. Pete Scazzaro, he has this quote that I love, and he says this, that the human body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. Now, for those of you who are like, what did you just say? That was my wife yesterday when I told her this quote. She was like, what? (laughs) It's kind of confusing. Here's what I mean. Skizero is saying that God speaks to us in a major way through our human physical form. Oftentimes, we are asking God to speak to us clearly, and he's speaking to us clearly through our human body. So we go, God, should I do this or not? And our body says, you should not do this. And we go, that wasn't God. I just got to keep moving. Got to keep trusting. Got to keep trucking. is saying the body, your human form, is a major prophet. That when God speaks, oftentimes he speaks majorly through your physical form. And so When our bodies that he's gifted us with hit limits, oftentimes God is communicating to us. Let me tell you one of the radars on my dashboard of life. It's called anxiety. When I get really heightened state of anxiety, there's usually one of three reasons. Number one is coffee. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all are feeling it right now. You're like, I just had three cups. God is speaking to me through my body. He's saying, run. Okay? That's how I feel right now. It's either, one, it's through coffee or sugar, I'm going to get a heightened sense of anxiety. Number two, I'm way overthinking something. Or number three, I've hit my limit physically, and I'm not slowing down and stopping. Are you tracking with me? So God literally lights on my radar, anxiety, 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 I am speaking to you. And I go, Mm -mm. mm-mm, just keep trucking, brother. Keep going. Keep running keep rushing, plan another thing, say yes to another event, go to another baby shower. And so God, listen, the body is a major prophet for which God speaks to you in a major way. And he has given us very real limitations for us to accept, for us to learn our limits. So what does that mean? That means that because we have these physical forms that God has given us, because we have these very real limitations, that often God uses those to protect us and give us rhythm so we can understand we cannot be all things at all times to every person. We cannot go out every night and experience the rhythm and rest that Jesus has for us. Come on, somebody. So we must embrace our limitations as a gift, a gift from God to receive, not simply a barrier that we have to overcome constantly. So what does this take? How do we do that? Well, you're going to have to learn this. There's this really powerful word, and it has two letters in it. Okay, does anybody want to guess what this word is? It is the word no. Everybody's going to say this with me on three. Ready? One, two, three. No. How many of you struggle to say that word? Raise your hand. Go on. Nice and high. Ladies, it's difficult, but it's not just about saying no. It's also learning when to say yes, learning what to say yes to and to build your life in rhythm with Jesus, knowing that we have very real physical limits and that we have to embrace those. Now, here's what I want you to know, too, is this. If you decide to live this way, to live your life in rhythm and to embrace your limits And to say yes appropriately so you can give your life to others and to the glory of God. Here's what's going to happen. People are always going to be disappointed by your limits. People are always going to be disappointed by some form of your limits. What do I mean? We have an incredible rich community here. And everybody in this community wants to be in every part of your life at all times pretty much. And so when you say no to something, it's hard not to take that personal at times. So what we have to do is learn that it's okay to give people permission to say no. It's okay to give people permission to rest, okay? It's okay to be mature enough to say, if somebody invites you to an event tomorrow and you say no and they're offended, okay, we have to learn to be mature enough to embrace other people's limits. Is somebody tracking with me out there? Guys, we have to be mature enough as a community to embrace people's limits. We cannot be so easily offended that when people need to protect those to be with Jesus, that we're hurt by it because they can't simply meet all of our needs. Only Jesus can meet all of your needs. So we have to be mature enough to allow people to have limits. Now, I'm not saying this. Listen, I'm not saying you have to keep your word. If you said you're going to do something, you should do it. You need to keep your commitments. If you committed to something, you need to follow through with it. But you do need to protect your rhythms, and you need to find those. So the last thing I'm going to leave you with this morning um, after the second rule, so we have our two rules, is the last thing. It's very simple. I'm going to give you one rhythm to consider including in your life that can help you Press into this design that God has gifted us in a in a rushing and hectic world to find rhythm and this is something that is called the daily office and so. Our one rhythm is called, we are going to build a daily office rhythm for rest. What does that mean, the daily office? This is something that has been practiced for hundreds of years. It's a language that's originated with like monks. And in the, in the monk world, they had what was called a daily office. The word office is the Latin word opus. It means work. So it's this is the daily work. What does that mean? That means your primary work in life is this. And this daily work is is a retreating to be with Jesus throughout the day. So the Trappist monks, they had built this schedule where they had seven daily offices. The first one started at 3.30 a.m. And they would wake up and they would enter into this rhythm of rest and advance, retreat and go, stop, be, and then move forward into your day. So what we what I want you to consider is what it would look like to build a daily office rhythm for rest. What do I mean? So that you could have in your day a built-in appointment where you are retreating to stop and rest and advancing into your day. So that you could realize that life is lived in this rhythm. That you breathe in and you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. Nobody can simply live their life like this all day. <sighs> And that's how we go to bed. That's how we live our life. There's no rhythm, there's no breathing in and breathing out, there's no retreat and advance. So what they had learned, and this was modeled first in scripture by Jesus, it was modeled by Daniel, it was modeled by Peter, it was modeled by Paul, is they'd live the life in rhythm where they would retreat to be with Jesus and advance into their world. So if you're interested in doing this at all, there's four markers to building a daily office. This is what this includes. Doesn't have to be rigid, doesn't have to be some law, but here's the rhythms. Number one, you've got to stop Every day, you've got to find a point in your day where you're going to stop. And you're going to intentionally stop at that time from your work, from your relationships, from your appointments, from looking at TV, whatever that is. You're going to stop. Second, you're going to find solitude. Solitude is a quiet place to be alone with God and be still. Psalm 42 says, be still before the Lord and know that I am God. So you're going to stop. You're going to get away to a quiet place. And you're going to be still before the Lord. That means you're going to be still and silent. Third, supplication. This is then you're going to submit all your cares, all the control you're holding. You're going to surrender it to Jesus in prayer. You're going to open your hands and you're going to give those things over. And last scripture, you're going to meditate on God's word to strengthen and nourish and root you because as you advance into the world, every day you're going to be bombarded mentally. And Romans says, do not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So every day you're going to get alone, you're going to root yourself, be transformed in mind, then you're going to advance. But here's what's got to happen. You've got to have a daily office rhythm with Jesus to be with him, to find rhythm to be and go to retreat and advance, to stop and start. This, these are four markers you can involve every day. I don't care if it's two minutes or 20 minutes. It looks different for everybody. I don't care if it's in the morning or in the evening or at 2 o'clock or 2.30 or whatever this looks like. Let me tell you, most of my daily offices, I start every day with a daily office with Jesus first in the morning. That time is my longest time. That is where I stop, I get silent before God. No one else is in the room. I hand over every care and surrender my life, and I root myself in God's word. But guess what? After I leave that morning rhythm, then I advance into a hectic world, and you get on 281, and you forget Jesus even was in your life 30 minutes ago. And guess what you need? You need another daily office. You need to retreat back to Jesus and say, God, help me, because right now I have lost my witness with these people on 281. And you got to work, and you had just spent the most pristine, sweet time with Jesus, but then you met your boss, Jesus, the other Jesus, and he's mistreating you, and you done forgot the quiet time you had with Jesus. Guess what you need? Another daily office. Let me tell you, a lot of my midday daily offices, let me tell you what they're like. They're two minutes. They're in my car. I turn the radio off. I sit with God alone. I'm in silence. I hand over every care, and I root myself on maybe one verse or no verses, and I pour them out. Just two minutes alone with him in silence, and then I move back into my day. It's this rhythm, guys. If you don't have rhythms like that, your whole life is simply just rushing forward. You are simply rushing from place to place to dinner to event to this to that to this to that. You have no rhythm in your life. No one can live like that. You cannot experience the rest of Christ while you are in a rush in life. You must have rhythms. Many of us, we think, if I can just get to that vacation, if I can just get to that sabbatical, listen, your time off isn't going to help you if your time on is the problem. You've got to come f- <laughs> I mean, home. that was come home, somebody. Now, you got to, I actually didn't come up with that. You got to have rhythm. What would it look like in your day if this was your day? (sighs) Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go. Let's do it. You've got to have rhythm in your life, guys. Some of you have never experienced this, the nourishing, the replenishing. Ernest, what were we talking about? We were just talking about this. After a baby, it's so hard to get in a rhythm. Let me tell you, that is something babies do not hold to. OK, there is no rhythm. There is milk, poop, sleep, yell. OK, those are the rhythms. The rhythms of the night. Y'all remember that song? This is the rhythm of the night. Uh, come on, I was a singer. So you've got to have these daily office rhythms. So let me challenge you this. I'm not saying make another resolution for your new year. None of you need a new New Year's resolution. None of you need another task on your to-do list. That is not what I want for you. But what I do want is that these would be embedded in your heart and mind so that as you begin to live your life, whether you remember this tomorrow or a week from now, you would begin to realize that God has a rhythm designed for your life that's nourishing, satisfying, and flourishes you because it's built on being with Jesus and then doing for Jesus. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you understand this is how God hardwired you. This is what he designed you for. And so what would it look like to pick a time to do this? So I've left you with a couple reflection questions here we're going to close with. I know I've gone over today. I'm sorry. Um, But here's here's the first that I want you to consider as we spend some time in prayer. When would be the daily office, or excuse me, when would the daily office be the most life-giving and beneficial in your schedule? I want you to think about this. Like, think about your day and your week. Where is that spot in your day and your week where you are just completely at a standstill and you hit a wall and you are exhausted and you're burned out? Think about it. What, if it. what would it look like if you employed a daily office in that moment, that time? doesn't have to be in the morning. It could be 2 o'clock. Like I said, it could be 2 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. What would it look like for you to stop, get solitude, get alone, pour out your heart before God, and root yourself in scripture i don't care if it's one verse if you download the bible app and you just focus on that one what would it look like to employ one daily office if you already do this what would it look like to employ a second daily office at some point in your day for you to find more rhythm if you're somebody who's very disciplined and diligent uh med craig when's your daily office during the day Love it. That's amazing. So Meg Craig's daily office, she does this in the morning every week. Well, here's the deal. For, for many of us, maybe you start there, but what would it look like to employ a midday daily office where instead of just grinding it out all the time and never having any rhythm, you would find a place to stop and to employ this. So when would that be most life-giving and beneficial? And second is this, as we close. Is there a current limitation in your life that you need to shift your mindset to consider as a gift not a barrier, how would that change your approach to that area? That as we talk about the real, tangible, physical limitations we have in life, what would it look like to recognize that and realize, oh, actually, maybe God is speaking to me through this, and I need to listen and receive it as a gift. Um, As we close, when I was in my The late 20s, I think I experienced probably what was what you might call a burnout. I burned out. I um, was in full-time ministry, and then I was traveling and and playing music all the time. I was leading like a, a conference for college students. I was involved as an ambassador for like two or three nonprofits. I was just grinding it out all the time. And I had energy, and I am an Enneagram 3, so I was very driven, and I wanted to conquer the world. And one day, um, schizero in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he calls it hitting a wall. I hit a wall. And mentally and spiritually and emotionally and physically, my tank just depleted to like 2%. And I remember through that season having to relearn just basic things and having to strip away all of the fluff in my life and the layers and the overcommitments and the schedules to get back to the very basic thing of simply being with Jesus. I was doing so much for Jesus that I didn't even have time to be with Jesus. And I, I burned out. And I began walking through this spiritual healing journey with Jesus, of learning to simply be with him, and then from that overflow, walking into a few rhythms in life and commitments in life that, could, that I could sustain. Now, why do I tell you this? I tell you this because now I walk with a limp, in a sense, physically and emotionally and spiritually. I wear uh, a burden on me that I can't live life without rhythm anymore. I can't do it. I cannot do it. It wears on my soul. It wears on my body. God has, in essence, like Jacob, took out his, his hip. He has taken out my hip, and I have very real limitations now. I must Sabbath every week. I must have a day of rest and stopping because I'm just not as strong as I used to be. I'm not. And I think God has gifted me with that limitation so that I'm dependent on him, and I have to walk slowly with him, and I can't conquer the world. No, I can't, but by God's grace, I can embrace the limitations I have, and here's why I tell you this. I don't want that to be your story. I don't want you to have to hit a wall to learn rhythm. I don't want you to have to burn out to learn how to be with Jesus, that you can learn life in rhythm right now, as you implement those things so as we close um we're gonna leave these questions up i give you just a minute or two to think about it and then i'm gonna get you out of here and we're gonna have lunch together so take a moment